Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Open, if you would, to Matthew chapter 20, please. Matthew chapter 20 and beginning in verse 1. These past few weeks, we've been in a series called Parables, remembering what God has done. And he tells us that not everyone who hears a parable understands its meaning. He says that seeing they will not see, that hearing they in fact will not hear. But then he says at the close of the parable, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And so what's important to understand when looking at the parables from the kingdom perspective is to ask God to open your ears and to open your hearts. He that hath an ear let him hear. I like what one preacher said about the parables, how it constantly intersects with our lives. He recounts this in one of his sermons when he talks about the kingdom of God, what it means to those of us who are in it. He says, the kingdom of God is like many things. Jesus says, a farmer sowing seed, a man hunting treasure, a woman kneading dough, fishermen casting a net, a man forgiven a debt, a wedding guest who forgot his jacket, virgins waiting for a bridegroom, a landowner being generous. The kingdom is like seed, yeast, pearl, fish, banquet, vineyard. It's so many different things. It's hard to say it's any one thing. Listen to this. It's seemingly random. It's hidden, it's surprising, it's disruptive, it's unexpected. It begins small. It's something you desperately need or passionately want, but it comes mixed with things that you vehemently scorn but can't rid yourself of until God says no. It's something you receive and cultivate. It's something you seek and lay hold of. It's something you await and stay ready for. It's something you're invited to and come prepared for. It's something of great value and need to discover. It's something that reverses value and expectations, and you need to adjust. It's something an enemy seeks to destroy. Now look with me in Matthew chapter 20 and beginning in verse 1. Jesus tells us, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out, going out again about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, the ninth hour, three o'clock, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, five o'clock, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, watch this, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock came, each of them received a denarius, about a day's wages. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receive it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And mark this in your Bibles. So the last will be first, and the first last. That's really what kicks off the passage. In Matthew 19.30, Jesus says much the same thing. Many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. Now, Scripture is filled entirely with paradox. The way up is the way down. He who would be greatest among you first has to make himself a servant unto all. And in this particular parable, something is happening that's incredibly important. Now, we all know that grapes were an invaluable commodity in Old and New Testament times. The Israelites absolutely lived off of the grape harvest. And in important times and seasons, they would have to hire workers. They would go into the city marketplace early in the day, see who's available, and say, hey, I need you for a day, and I'll give you X amount for working for me. And in this particular scenario, these day laborers come out. Now, you can imagine the 6 a.m. worker is there early. He's the early bird gets the worm type. He's ready to go. It's a nice, cool day. He's ready to make a good day's wages and use it for something, and he's good. So he gets out about 6 o'clock in the morning, the first hour in Jewish culture. He looks around him. About 9 o'clock, some other people show up a little bit later, but still too early in the morning. And he thinks, well, I'm glad the owner has gotten them to work in the vineyard too. We could use some more help. Some more come at, at, at 12 o'clock, and as he's kind of scraping his hands, he's a little bit tired. He notices they're a little fresh, but hey, the master needs help, so we'll get a few more. Another's come at 3 o'clock, right, as he's starting to feel it just a bit, a little bit ready to go home. Others are here at 3 o'clock, thankful for more help. And then, right before quitting time, at 5 o'clock, the last hour of the workday, some others show And he thinks, well, this is okay. Maybe they'll get a little bit for the day. And this is the scenario that we find themselves. And yet the master does something incredible. He pays them in reverse. He pays from last to first. And he pays them all the same amount. Now, before you start crying out communism, that's not what this is. Imagine if you had worked for an entire day. And somebody else comes in and works one hour, and they get the same amount as you. Would that be fair? Our whole world is built on you get what you earn. At least in a Western capitalistic society, you would think about this guy and all that they've kept going through. He would be paid for this work. You know, you've done all the work. The other laborers haven't been there long enough. You ought to be appreciated for what you've done the longer you work. You should be thanked. Shouldn't your work be determined by your work? But in an earthly sense, this makes makes sense to us. So they go from being chosen to work to being cheated, or at least in their minds. It's almost a connection with Psalm 69.4 where the psalmist says, What I did not steal must I now restore. Hey, you do all the work. And someone else gets all the credit. Or worse, not only do they get all the credit, but they get all the pay. You think about how this works out. Everything in your life is determined in a secular sense by value. You get what you earn. You put in the hard work and you can get ahead of other people, at least what the culture teaches. And yet when they go 
on strike, seemingly, when they're about to complain about everything that's going out, the master only has one response to them. You know what he says? This is what he says. It's not a fun response. He says three words. He says, it's my vineyard. And that's it. I call the shots. And if you're one of these guys or one of these gals that's been working in the field all day long, and you see somebody that's been working one hour, three hours, six hours, nine hours, and they get the same as you, how does that make you feel? Not very good. I think what most often disturbs us and bothers us in church life is how God chooses to distribute grace. You think about the vision that Paul had. Paul doesn't get saved because of anything special he's done. In fact, he's running in the wrong direction. The Holy Spirit's convicting him, and he's not listening. And so one day on the Damascus Road, blinding white light, God calls him. You think about Abraham walking around, an old man, not doing exactly what he's supposed to do. We don't even know if Abraham was a believer. Hopefully he was called to go for the nation of Israel. God will say much the same thing in Romans 9. Some of these people who God calls to himself haven't done a thing. They're not church kids. They're not what you would describe as hard workers or good people. And yet, God doesn't measure your worth by your work. The laborer thinks only of himself rather than the generosity of the landowner. Now listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a businessman. I'm in the Lord's business. There's some overlap, but it's really not my first calling. I would think about what I would say if I was a businessman trying to get my fair share of the day's wages. I would tell the master, we expanded the budget. We made the company profitable. We created value for the shareholders. And yet Jesus says in this passage, I don't care. It is unnerving. In fact, one writer says this, the kingdom is about a generosity on a scale and of a kind that the world has never seen and can't understand. The world's generosity is always about earning. It's always tied to a bonus system. Lurking behind all forms of worldly generosity is the idea that I actually have this coming to me. So you tip the waitress big who bent over backwards for you, you give a little more commission to the realtor who delayed his holidays to close the deal for you, you put in a little extra effort on the project, and you expect to reap more of the profits. And yet so often what we call generosity isn't really generosity. It's reward. It's based on something we've done. Sometimes... We can so focus on what seems fair and on what seems right that we miss out on what has been freely received. Isn't it amazing how we complain about grace? I want you to think about it. It exists even in the church. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I've been a church member in this church longer than you, and therefore I deserve more say than you? I've been in this company longer than you. I've been in this neighborhood. Fill in the blank. And Jesus says at the end of your life, it's not going to help you a bit. 
Now, does the Lord reward us for our efforts? Does he allow us to lay crowns at his feet? He certainly does. But it's not ultimately what gets us into the kingdom. I would say the biggest problem in the church today is that we've forgotten what it's like to receive grace from God. We're not thankful to God. We've forgotten where he's brought us from. Or worse than that, we're looking around at all the other people who came in instead of 6 o'clock at 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock and saying, if that's what grace is, I don't want what they've got. I can't go to that church because of the hypocrites over there. Doesn't keep you from going to the ball game where there's hypocrites. As if one period in a person's life forever defines them. I just wonder how many people do we say to, because you did not show up when I expected you to, because you didn't show up on time, your failure is final. And we deny the very gospel we proclaim. I wonder, do we have room for grace one of the difficult things, I pastored in small county towns with wonderful people for a dozen years. I'm thankful for so many that I met, salt of the earth kind of people. One of the challenges in serving in county seat small towns was that everybody knew everybody. And whenever somebody would try to get their life right and show up at church, everybody knew the history and everybody knew the story and nobody really believed they were sincere. And at times, I would just have to say, do you believe in the grace of God or not? Do you believe that forgiveness is freely offered of God? Now, I want you to think not just of God's notion of grace and generosity, but I want you to think about God's notion of fairness versus our notion of grace. Let's talk about fairness for a second. What kind of fairness gets you into the kingdom of God? So you think because you've worked harder than someone else, that means you earn more or that puts you in a greater standing with God. And yet, how many of you chose where you were born? How many of you chose your mom and dad? How many of you chose where you grew up? Who's to say that God didn't place you where he placed you solely not on your merit, but by his grace? This whole idea of fairness is jacked up in the church as if serving better and attending longer and giving more somehow gives you more grace with God. Because if that's what it is, then you got a salvation and a grace on the basis of works and it is no longer grace. We say, well, this person got what they deserve. Hey, none of us deserve a thing in God's kingdom. Do you withhold from others what God has not withheld from you? I recall the man who lost his boy tragically in an accident and said to the preacher, crying out in the service, where was God when my son died? And the preacher didn't have an answer. He waited and thought about it and compassionately said, I don't know, but probably in the same place as when his son died. He that spared not his own son, shall he not freely give us all things. Hey, listen, friend, in God's economy, you don't want fairness. You want mercy. You want grace. And when you can fully comprehend that God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, in short, he can do whatever he wants, that's when life really begins to make sense.
That's what he says to Job. Job loses everything. He begins to question God. And God says, Job, were you there when I hung the stars in the place? Were you there when dinosaurs walked the earth that I created simply by the sound of my voice? Who were we to dictate terms with God? See, our notion of grace often reveals a lot more about us than it does the other person. And Jesus says, these fields are white unto harvest. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Here's the truth about this story, is that God sends laborers at whatever hour they will come. And the very person who is recognized next to Jesus, on one side of the cross, there's the man saying, show us the miracles, show us the sign, get down off the cross, that's when I'll believe. And then there's the quiet one on the other side saying simply, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, this day you can be with me in paradise. Not after you've been baptized, not after you've straightened your life out, Not after you've fixed all those church people. This day. The grace and mercy of God that all these day laborers receive justice and yet the 11th hour laborers receive grace. Now again, I'm not a businessman, but I tell you what I would have done. This would have been the easiest way to do it, to solve the problem in my opinion. We understand the unfairness of paying everybody the same thing. We get that. But if you're the landowner, why don't you get smart about how you do that? Why do you pay the last people first and make the first people wait until the last have gone? Wouldn't it be easier just to do this? First guy comes up, work 12 hours, give him a denarius, he goes on his way, doesn't know the difference about what the ninth hour receives. The ninth hour has no idea difference what the 12 hour received, 12 to 3, 3 to 5, and everybody's none the wiser and everybody remains happier. And yet that laborer, that owner says intentionally, give it to the last first and the first last. Do you know why? Because you assume in this story that you're a first-hour laborer when the truth is that you're an 11th-hour laborer. Every single one of us, by the grace of God. So he goes from being chosen to being cheated without ever realizing that they are chosen in the first place. The landowner is the one receiving injustice, but in the kingdom of God, it's not fair, and for that we can be thankful. Here's what you have to understand about grace. It always flows downstream rather than upstream. See, it's not about what you're owed. It's about what's been paid. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe based on a debt that you owed but couldn't pay. And when when you reach the point that you understand that God doesn't owe you anything, you'll give him everything because of his mercy and grace. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Father, I pray this morning for those who have gathered here today. I'm so thankful for those who have come. I know that many of us have hang-ups over different things in our lives, challenges that we've faced, perhaps past regrets. Father, maybe if we're honest, we're bitter about the way the church has treated us. Maybe inadvertently the way this church has treated us. We don't know. What I pray today is that you would remind us 
that in the kingdom of God, it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you've earned. It's about who you are. That your generosity extends beyond anything we could ever know. That you have given us something so much greater than fairness. You have given us the gift of yourself, the gift of grace. And rather than looking at life through the prism of being cheated by others, may we see quite clearly today that we have been chosen by you from the foundation of the world. Grace for grace. Lord, I pray that today might be the day of salvation for someone who doesn't know you. Lord, for someone who's away from your fold, May they see, Lord, the wisdom of being a part of a local church. Not a perfect one by any means, but one where the owner says, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Grace for grace. Father, have your way in this church. I pray that we would welcome those who no one else wants with open arms. May they come to Jesus. Thank you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.